0: Welcome everybody to South Florida Wellness Network Presents Talking Wellness. We are back. Uh, I just want to before we continue I just want to say thank you so much for the support on last week's episode. It's been a wild ride. Last time I checked, 120-something views. You guys are awesome. We really appreciate it. That was definitely... uh, Actually, I want to give props to Kayla. She was the one that came up with the idea to do it. No,
1: no, you can't give props to me. Actually, Diane
0: Diane came up.
1: Yeah, she reached out Ah, to me and said, man, I would really like to do Mothers in Recovery. And I said, that is amazing. So thank you, Diane. And thank thank you, you, Virginia, both of you, because... You all are just rock star moms in recovery. Heck
0: of an episode. But um, through that episode, it inspired a series that we want to start. And um, this is a series that Kayla and I planned, what, two, three weeks ago now? Mm -hmm. And we've been slowly building to this moment. Uh, We're going to start a brand new series and it's going to become kind of the bulk of this podcast. Uh, It's called My Story Matters brief explanation. We're going to be bringing in people, uh, people from the community, people from South Florida Wellness Network, people who have a story to share. And we're going to, it's going to be kind of like an interview style where we get to hear their stories. We ask questions for perspective. And the goal is to inspire not only you as listeners, but us as interviewers the importance of sharing your story right the one of the biggest qualities of recovery and of well-being is to be able to sh- share it with other people right mm-hmm. to get that support and get that um more specifically emotional support right so to be able to build a community where we can actively share these stories of people who have gone through the depths of hell and have come back mm-hmm. it's, it's really powerful right so we thought what better way to start this brand new series then talking about kayla's story so as you saw in the thumbnail where kayla has a really interesting backstory filled with a lot of turns a lot of moments of great amazing things and a lot of moments of really dark places so Uh, We're really excited to do this. Kayla, I appreciate you so much for being so open and willing to do this. You know that we this has been kind of a little baby that we've been trying to make, and then boom, it's happening, and we're here, and it is awesome. So we really hope that you guys are excited for this journey as much as we are, and um, without further ado, this is Kayla's story.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for that intro, and I'm just so happy to be here with both of you and sharing my story. I can't wait to hear both of your stories, so just so you know, they are going to be sharing their story coming soon as well, but Um, So, yeah, there's an interesting thumbnail uh, you'll see uh, that's tagged along to this uh, podcast. And that in that thumbnail, you'll see there is a picture of a girl and she's kind of in an orange jumpsuit. She has dark ring eyes, (laughs) dark spots around her eyes. Uh, She doesn't really look too happy. Um, She kind of looks really, really empty. Um, But then on the other side, you're going to see a family picture um, and that same girl is in that picture but The only difference is time and recovery. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm super passionate about recovery. I'm super passionate about sharing my story because I think there's so much power in our testimonies. And they have not just the ability to um, impact others, but they impact us as we tell them because there's new just healing and just new revelations and connections. And um, when we share our story, there's just, I don't know, it's just something beautiful that happens. And so before I start, I always have to give glory to God because by the grace of God, here I am, you know, and there's <laughs> so many uh, twists and turns in my story where God was just beginning to sow seeds of redemption from the beginning. Um, so we'll get started uh, from, I guess, I, my childhood. I I really want to just kind of skim over, like, what it looked like getting into um, my active addiction and kind of some of the mental health challenges that came up as I was younger, because I really struggled with a substance use disorder and multiple mental health challenges probably for about 12 years where my cycle really began to um, progress and I saw a lot of just big challenges come up in my life you know and so probably from the age I would say of 14 to 24 has really been where I struggled most with substance use and mental health challenges yeah Yeah. and I and I think when I look back at my childhood there's a lot of components you know that probably led to some of the ways that I was thinking some of the challenges in in my identity and um, just figuring out like who I am in this world and um, trying to understand my worth and stuff like that. And I, and I really honestly think that all young people go through that process of yeah. trying to figure out who they are and, you know, how they fit into the world. And unfortunately, you know, we do live in a world <clears throat> where there's there's dysfunction. There's um, not everything is perfect, you know. And so I think as a kid, there's so many different things that can lead a young person to develop ways of thinking and not just thinking about the world, but thinking about themselves, you know? And so for instance, if you come from a home where maybe there wasn't a father, um, or if you come from a home where your parents were divorced, if you come from a home where maybe your parents were divorced, but they also hated each other. And then you kind of felt like you were in the middle of that. Maybe you come from a home where, you know, you weren't taught, good values or you come from a home where you didn't feel as guided because your parents were working super, super late trying to just make money to, you know, be able to have a roof and and food on the table. And so although they were out there grinding, they you lacked actually having the presence of adults to guide you through a lot of the stuff in your life. Mm -hmm. So with all that context, what I'm trying to kind of get at is that when I started to begin my kind of mental health challenges, I was actually pretty young. And I think that's kind of where it started because I can remember being like 12, 13 and just having like thought processes that I know now probably were not the healthiest, you know? Mm. And I, I remember feeling very, what we would call like depressed today. I remember feeling like really heavy emotions of like, who am I? Mm. Really heavy emotions of like, does anyone care about me? Do they love me? Really have the emotions of like, where do I fit in? You know, just the kind of things that I think normally kids really kind of go through. Except for me, I started to feel bouts of, I can't even explain like what the word is, but it, you would call it depression now, you know? And so the first, I think, signs of that would have been when I started self-harming at a young age because I did start self-harming when I was about 13 years old.
2: Were you aware of depression at the time, like what depression was, or you just felt the Not way? at
1: all. Not you know? at all. I think that that's one of the biggest things. When I look at mental health today and even substance use conditions, is like we've moved the needle a lot because of, at least I know for myself too, and even in the home with my own son, because we're talking about these things. 100%. You know, when you're not- That's why I ask. Yeah. yeah. When you're not talking about these things or you don't have the guidance of like an adult that can kind of share and like, hey, some of these feelings that you're <laughs> feeling are normal and- you know, you can feel like you can talk to somebody about some of the thought processes that probably are scary to talk about because yeah. I've had some crazy intrusive thoughts that I were like that I was like afraid to tell people, you yeah. know? And I began actually having suicidal ideation at a young age, but I was afraid to really talk about that. So I really just dealt with it on my own um, mm-hmm. and kind of held those things in. And just to give you context too of the type of child that I was, I'm an outgoing person, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've always been a very like outgoing person. I'm also a very like perfectionist type of person. I've struggled with like perfectionism and like having to like do the best, be the best, all of those things. And so from a young age, I was like the straight A student. I was like, you know, just good at everything, very outgoing, very like what you would think of as like a really happy kid. And so I never felt like I had the space to really share in the things that I was struggling with, you know, and a lot of that had to do with like some of my identity. My parents were divorced. You know, I really struggled with that. My dad had a new family. My mom got remarried. Um The separation wasn't the prettiest, you know, and like I don't want to go into their business, but you know, sometimes it, it it looks like that and and the unintended consequences are, you know, what the kids go through. Because as children, yeah. and we talked about it in the previous episode, children internalize those things, you know, so it's almost like do they not want me right is this my fault type Mm -hmm. of thing and I was a daddy's girl always you know and so and I do think that fathers play a huge role for shaping what you know little girls look to in relationships I really do believe that you know today and it's not to put anything like a knock on my dad but I just think that when we know better we do better and I don't think parents Under I I think that parents sometimes are just doing the best that they can, but they don't necessarily are connecting with like, hey, this would probably be the most important thing for me to do for my child or speak to my child about these things or be really involved in my child's life, because the reality is, is parents, they have their own lives, you know, like whether they're full time jobs, like, you know, have their own personal stuff going on. And so I think that when there's not that awareness of like, I still need to be like really active in my child's life, I need to like ask these questions, I need to be aware of like, what my child's feeling, what are the those signs, those early warning signs and things like that, then things can kind of go unnoticed, you know, and so I feel like kind of that probably happened a little bit with me in, in my, in my younger years, Because I was also really good at putting on a show, meaning like I could literally pretend like everything was fine, you know, and I really and that's what I did. I would like oftentimes and throughout those years, I dealt with everything on my own and I never wanted to like admit or be vulnerable about like what was really going on because I was so focused on what people see, too. And I think that's a cultural thing. Right. Is like you have to always be seen a certain way and I felt like that a lot in my family because you know we c- that's kind of that cultural background type of stuff and so no matter what like it had to be that pretty picture you know and so what do you do with that when you're feeling like you know the opposite inside but you don't feel like you have an outlet for that yeah so i'm going to shift that was just giving a little context of you know childhood Throughout my my adolescence, now like my teenage years, you take all of this stuff and you put it into like a teenager who's going through puberty and experiencing all kinds of things. At this point, I was probably spending more times with more time with friends than I was with like family and parents and and adults, you know. And so, kind of normal. Yeah, it's yeah. a normal thing, right? It's it's a normal thing. That's that's usually typically what happens, um, but. When I moved, I moved. I moved at 14 years old. I moved up to Georgia, which was a huge hit to my family because I was leaving my mom's, you know, leaving my mom's house to go live with my dad. Mm -hmm. And I know that this, and I can understand, you know, why it was a huge hit because, you know, with regard to my mom, like she didn't want me to move. You know, she wanted me to be there with her. Um, I knew my dad was leaving and I had this like, I just always wanted to be with my dad. Like, it was just, like, this thing that I had, you know? Was it, like,
2: a comfort that he gave you being (sighs) around? Was it—do you Uh, feel like he took care of you more? Do you feel
1: like— No, I—no, I don't. Close
2: relationship? No,
1: not even. Um, My dad was more probably, like—my dad was not as around as my mom was. And I think that that is why I wanted to be you with wanted him to
2: cling maybe to that relationship. A little Correct.
1: More. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's hard when parents are divorced and you're like, oh, OK, like it's every other weekend, you yeah. know, and then it's even if that because there may be something that comes up for my dad and then he doesn't pick us up or, you know, whatever. And so I just think that at that point, I really was like when he told me he was moving, I was like, I just felt internally like I, I'm going to lose him. You know, and on top of that, I was going through my own kind of depressive state as a teenager. And at that point, I was like, I just thought like a move would be the best thing, you know, because I just wanted change. I wanted something to change. And I thought if I could change my geographic location, then things would be kind of like fixed in my life, you know. Mm -hmm. But
0: I I actually relate to you a lot in that, because when my parents went through their uh, separation, um, it was. I was very similar in that way. I was trying my best to like, for some reason I needed some sort of drastic decision making for it to make sense. Yeah. So that drastic decision making was I'm going to pretend like my father doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. You know, meanwhile, like I know he was hurting too. And today I see it differently. But, um, back then I was so hurt and so disappointed at the fact that it was like, Oh my God, the second dad in the second dad out. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, so it was like a whole mental thing that I was going yeah. through. And immediately I was like, you know what? excuse the language, but F this guy. I'm not going to And it's that.
2: it's so funny, your guys' perspective, too, because my, my parents were also divorced, but at a way younger age. So I obviously don't remember, don't care. Yeah. Um, And I had other stepdads that have come into my life. You know, I had Nikki's dad, who was Lloyd. Um, and he raised me, I would say. You know, he's the one that got me into soccer and taught me a lot of stuff. And then Peter now, you know, who's completely a father to me now. And I'll, you know, I, I would... Adopt that completely. So it's interesting how, like, that could change with different people. With know, the dynamic. It is. 100%. No. Yeah. And
1: my parents got divorced when I was young, like, really young. But so what I remember is I don't necessarily remember the divorce. I just remember, like, when they both, like, when my dad was getting married to my stepmom, and then my mom got married to my stepdad. So I, I have a giant family like I'm one of like eight people but it's like the his hers they theirs whatever like the whole mix you know um so it's like but me and my sister are the only two that are like from my mom and and my dad you know and they had their challenges and their struggles and like you know and I still to this day don't know like the ins and outs of that because that's their business I just know as a child and it's it's just this is just generally for children like it is it's a hard thing to kind of grasp and understand you know and you you have big feelings about it because you're not really sure like you know why this is happening or like it's just it's sometimes it's just not fair you know but it's not to say that like you know parents should stay together if there's like good reason for them to separate and get a divorce so anyways moving moving forward so i moved so i moved to georgia And, um, you know, I thought it was going to be this like fairy tale type of situation. And one thing I'll tell you that I've learned in my recovery is and you'll see throughout like kind of me sharing my story is that, you know, I was constantly looking for a physical solution to a spiritual condition, you know, and I didn't learn that till way later um, in my journey. But at this time, you know, I can tell you like. I've. Really figured it out, and like the missing piece was God, um, and so we'll talk Ooh, a little bit about that. I need that
0: in a rap lyric. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. The missing piece was God. Yeah. The missing piece was God.
1: Exactly, because what I've recognized is like, man, there's dysfunction in, in like every single family. Like, there's no perfect family, you know. Um, and so I actually really happen to love and, and appreciate my family today, but we've gone through such a healing journey together, and I'll talk about that through my recovery process. So I moved to Georgia. Um, fairy tale happy, you know, type of situation. When I started, I started in a new school. You know, it was easy for me to make friends rather quickly. Um I was loving everything about living there. I was loving everything um about being with my dad. Um but again, I move into another place where there was stuff going on with like my dad and his wife and, and they have three kids together. And then I kind of added together. Like, yeah. Like they together. have three kids together. Yep. And then I kind of added into the mix, um, because now I'm a teenager. I'm going, I'm, you Did know, you feel
2: like outside of the herd.
1: A lo- yeah. Yeah, for sure. Did
2: they treat you like that or <sighs> I don't know. I've met people that get treated different yeah. than them, like completely differently. And it's like kind of astounding to watch. It's like, they don't like yeah. eat with you and like no. this kind of yeah. weird.
1: It's it it was definitely a struggle, I'll tell you. Like there, especially was, as a young girl. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, it it always has been for me and my sister. You know, and it's like, and I and I think even in that, like a lot of it, it may maybe it's like unintended stuff, you know. But like as you're again, like shaping your view of yourself and the world through like these experiences. And a lot of the time we shape our view and of ourselves through even like our parents, you know, and like how um, readily available they are to cultivate a relationship. And what does that relationship cultivation look like? Um, So I think that that's kind of, it puts a huge pressure on parents too, you know, because like I, said i think in the previous podcast is like parents are essentially a child's first gods right like you come into the world and you're looking to these individuals as like your safety like your love like you're looking to them to fill every aspect of your needs and so you know that's that's huge pressure to put on parents and i think every parent um will you know I don't want to say fail at some point, but you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be an error. You're not not going to live up to that. You're never going to live up to that expectation perfectly, you know? And so I think we learn that as children, as we grow older and, um, but as, but when we're younger, we don't really know that we're just like angry. We're like, you know, this sucks. My parents suck, you know, those type of things, those type of conversations. We, We, everyone goes through it. Yeah. So anyway, so I moved up there, you know, they were having challenges in their, in their marriage and, and, you know, um, It ended up becoming I don't even know how it it all ended up evolving to where they were going to be moving back down to Florida. But I wanted to stay in Georgia. I was happy staying in Georgia. I loved being in the mountains. I had already started making new friends Um, and I was just and I felt good about being there. And so, um, you know, essentially there was a deal that was made and I stayed in Georgia. My mom had no idea about it. Uh, My dad, you know, moved back to, to South Florida. In retrospect, when I look at that, like, yeah, it's probably was not the best decision because now I'm, you know, 15, 16 years old, like on my own, pretty much Mm -hmm. like put into kind of like the care of somebody else, you know, who isn't family. But at the time they were taking care of one of my best friends in high school and like another another youth, young adult, a teenager that was didn't have parents. And so we all kind of like, so moved it was kind of like
2: fostering you guys. Yeah. A
1: bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, something uh, to along that nature. But, um, at that point, you know, my life really started to take a turn because I felt very independent. And even though like, I felt very like grown up, I was not a grown up. And, right. but I wouldn't have told you that. Like you're talking to me, I'm telling you I'm grown. I make my own decisions and all this stuff. And I felt entitled to that because, there was a lot of things that I started to go through at like in my adolescence, including trauma, like in my teenage years that just made me feel entitled to say, like, I'm an adult, yeah. you know, and I was putting myself in a lot of adult situations. And at, and I was always gravitating towards like older people. Yeah. Um, I think I've always been that way. Like people will always tell me, like, you're an old soul, like you're you're wise, beyond your years. And like I just would develop relationships with like older people. It was it was very interesting. But that can be dangerous, too. Right. Depending Absolutely. on the Especially older people the that age, you. Yeah. yeah. That you be, have relationships with. Yeah. So, you know, in high school is when I really started um, partying, you know, and uh, essentially it was like, you know, first like to have fun, you know, and go out and have fun. And I think a lot of the time, like those are the things where like we need to educate young people because young people we're just looking to have a good time, you know, like we're looking to have fun, like, you know, Absolutely. and that and and some things can lead down a road that we never thought would lead down that road. And so when I think about like my life and how it kind of just exploded it's like you know like hurricane season how like the water's warm so there's like different components and like you know the right you know storm comes like rainstorm and it hits this warm water and then it starts to kind of evolve and then it goes over here and it hits this warm so that's kind of like how my addiction and my mental health challenges evolved right Mm -hmm. it was like the perfect storm, Mm -hmm. you know, the perfect water, the perfect components, because in my teenage years, I did go through trauma, you know, and I didn't know how to deal with it and I didn't know how to talk about it, nor was I willing to talk about it. So what did that do? It caused me to have a lot of internal pain, right? I was already having stinking thinking, right? My thought processes were, were, were not the healthiest. Mm -hmm. So, our brains, like, you create neural pathways in our brains. So when you create, like, an unhealthy thinking pattern, it almost creates this neural pathway where, like, it begins to just kind of be in a cycle yeah. where, you know. And our so, thoughts
2: create thoughts. Correct.
1: Yeah. And so, like, my thoughts Damn, created thoughts, and then my experiences were validating those thoughts, right? And so as my experiences were validating these thoughts, then I started to in turn think the, internally think these things about myself. You know, and so it's wow. like when you see how that happens and then now I'm, you know, at an age where I'm also partying. Right. And I know I'm not a, a like probably like a normal person or normal. I was not a normal teenager because like when I took substances, I really liked the way that they made me feel because they made me feel different than how I felt originally. And mm-hmm. so. It almost became instantly like this coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And when you're using something to cope and you have a lot of things that you're coping with, you're going to use that in excess. Right. And so when you think about it for me and when I think about it, I never wanted to be like, hey, you know, in 10 years, I want to be this drug addict that's, you know, incarcerated, homeless, Um in immense, just internal pain, like hates, completely hate myself, have lost custody of a child that I had a teen pregnant. You never expected that like this would be where my road goes, Mm -hmm. but that's how it progressed. Because when I look at what could have been different, probably if there was some intervention in the beginning in my adolescence, Mm -hmm. you know, and like there was opportunities for kind of, even people to that what we do, you know, which is why I love what we do, but to kind of step in and, and begin to question and, like, speak. Yeah. yeah, you know, and get curious about, do like... Do you
2: think that you would have been affected by questioning? Or do you think you would have just, just been kind of set that. on your minds? Because I feel like... not. I mean, I don't know. Right. But I feel mm-hmm. like if you kind of just stayed in Georgia by yourself without any of your parents, it kind of seemed like you were kind of Yeah. I was,
1: I was definitely set. Yeah. Yeah. F- 100%. I was definitely set. And so... I don't know. Because
2: kids are hard-headed.
1: We are. I know I am. Okay. So I, I, I definitely, was. I was a hard-headed yeah. kid, you know, and, and you couldn't tell me anything. But I think the interactions would have had to be, been different, right? The engagement. Like even how I engage a young person today is not like questioning them. It's really just wanting to get to know them, right? And and really taking a genuine interest in, in who they are and the things that they're going through. Do you right.
2: feel like no one took a genuine interest in you back then at the time, and that's yeah. why you kind of
1: yeah. I definitely feel that way when I look at like when I look at school, right? So like when you think of like what are the places where people could have seen maybe some of the early warning signs, right? Probably school for me would have been like um a a, a, a spot where they could have like something could have been done like yeah. you know differently. Um, and the reason I say that is because like you know I didn't graduate because I missed so much school, yeah. you know. So if that's crazy yeah you know if they saw if if i was missing so much school right every time i did show up to school i was legitimately either coming down from a high or like extremely high you know and i looked i know i i would show up to school like really disheveled i have my best friend used to like come find me i would be at like random houses and she would be like kayla come to school come on i'll take you and i like just never wanted to go Hmm. you know and Hmm. so it was like you know at at after I was living with, um, where I was living when my dad first left, I like left there not long, and I went from house to house, like living with like different adults. Were
2: there multiple people that this was happening to, or like let's say in your school, w- mm-hmm. was this happening to fifty, twenty, a hundred people, or was this like a small, minute yeah. people like you, like five? Yeah, 10. I think
0: I think what you're going is was it like a group of people that I, that that were I, 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 I want to understand
2: like was it like something you were struggling with that like no one deals with and it's something like it was hard or was this like something like everybody around you was struggling with
1: no of... i think there was definitely people that struggled i have a friend that took his life in um high school also had substance use and mental health conditions so do you
2: think maybe going to where you were in that specific vicinity place made it a lot easier to be young because i know like florida has a a lot bad, more a lot of drugs too but, but like there's you a lot got more resources yeah that's all there is to do. Right. You know.
1: I definitely think that being in a rural area played a huge role in it because, like, we've moved the needle a lot here, like, in South Florida. And I know that that's what is trying to be done in that specific place even now that to this too, day. That's
2: resources alone, right. too. Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
1: So when you think about, like, people—when you think about—this is why I, it, education and awareness is so vital. I'm so passionate about it because— people, when they don't know, they don't know what to do. Right. And so then they just assume that's just a bad kid. Right. Like, and and I'm sure that that, I I know that that was my, like my, the stamp on me. Right. Like I get that, you know, I would, I'd been gone to jail before the age of 18 three times, you know, I was in a federal investigation before I was 18. You know, there's so many things where people were just like, man, that's just, that's just a bad kid, you know? And so, I can see how, like, that stigma or just like those assumptions and just like kind of you kind of like write somebody off. But that's why the education piece is so important because I think that behavior tells a story, right? And if you're talking about like teenagers that are having, you know, multiple arrests, that are never going to school, showing up, you know, disheveled or high, like somebody should take a genuine interest, you know, and yeah. yeah. And so,
0: Especially teachers, man, and this is why I'm I'm always a big advocate for teachers because everybody thinks it's just a night. Uh, uh, what is it? A, a, a six thirty to three? You know, kids come in the class, they leave, and that's it. No, teachers have such a crucial role when it comes to the development of a child. You know, and like half of these teachers are there because they really care. Because the pay's crap. Yeah, you know the, yeah. the 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 benefits are crap. We all know this. Every teacher in this earth will tell you this. My fiance tells me every single time I talk to her. Um, uh she's a teacher by the way. Uh so so they're there for the passion. Yeah, you know. And like it's a great reminder to teachers of the importance that they have in their yeah. development, right? You know, I've I had teachers in my life though that that when I was struggling, they came up to me and they said, Hey Chris, I saw that you weren't as active as you normally are in class. Are you okay? And those were the teachers that I had the closest relationship with. Yeah. Right. In, because in they school, took
1: yeah, they took that genuine in interest. So yeah. Like,
0: So if any teachers in the community or anybody watching this podcast who's a teacher um, and has felt, especially these past years, you know, the schooling system hasn't gotten better, right? Um, If you're feeling very, like unmotivated just know that your jobs are important and you can make a and difference you can make yeah. a difference no matter where you are I just want to 100% pause and say that for yeah. a second because I think it's crucial you know
1: it is and I think that anyone can make a difference right like if you're somebody who's around teenagers or young people or even your friends or your adults like when you start seeing like early warning signs of like this is different than what this person who this person usually is, or these are things that are like super concerning. Like make it your, make it your priority, you know, to like go over there and not to be like, what are you doing? But just to be like, Hey, like what's going on? You know, I've, I've noticed this and I just wanted to check in on you. Like people just take a genuine interest rather than, you know, kind of, Oh my gosh, you know, just judging and being like, this is this person or whatever. But, um, okay. So moving on. Um, so I stopped going to school. I didn't graduate high school. You know, that's part of my story, too, because I got um, pretty much kicked out for not attending school. I got pregnant at 17 um, with my son, Cooper, you know, which was another thing. I um, met his father at pretty much like a dope house, you know, um, I was partying at and I was living there and I met him there. Um, He was also on drugs. We were both on drugs. Um, He was really uh, there kind of in like the beginning stages of like my like where my addiction like really really took off um, mm-hmm. and he was not in a healthy place in his life either mm-hmm. you know and so <laughs> you take two you know broken people trying to you know fix each other and and get together and it's like that tornado and the hurricane coming together and trying to just like life you know and it's hard i always say like you know i was not even i didn't even feel like a whole person and when you take like a 0.2 of a person and a 0.4 and you multiply that you don't even get a one you know like you just yeah you're not even close so there was so much dysfunction there i was head over heels over him though i was so in love um i think i was also just looking for a savior i was looking for somebody to save me from
2: goes back to what you were saying you were looking for someone to like i forgot what you said specifically like take interest or like yeah yeah life you know want to know
1: absolutely and relationships just i'm just gonna go ahead and say it like those were drugs for me too you know because i was still looking Mm. for a way to get out of myself and i was looking for a way to feel like worthy and validated and enough, you know, and so I was sexually active, like really young, you know, when I, mm-hmm. I, I really shouldn't have been, you know, mm-hmm. and so but I was looking for that love in those spaces. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm filling this spiritual condition, which I know now with all of these things that I think are going to fill that void or make me feel better or help me discover who I am, or at least feel like I'm good enough in this world. And so um, it's
0: interesting how people love to fill the void with more darkness. Oh,
1: my gosh, isn't it? It's it's wild. But that's but that's kind of like what we do, you know, and when the the thing about it, too, is you have to think like when we think of our minds and our brains, like a lot of these things let out endorphins. Right. And so what happens is, is like your brain is also like there's the physiological of addiction, you know, and then there's that like addiction, like when you're when you're. The psychological, you know, there, there's there's both of the things, and so you have to take both of those things into account. And then I'm a young person whose brain is still developing, oh, yeah. but now I'm putting in a lot of you got to think addiction like
2: yeah. a neurological disease, the same yeah. as like ADD, right? So the same way you want like serotonin or endorphins, yeah. exactly. Same way a drug, exactly. Would want it. And so exactly. It,
1: essentially, remember I talked about my depression. The first drugs that I started to use were uppers. You know, um, and so I got addicted to those uppers because they brought me up out of that low, mm-hmm. you know, and then that progressed and I got a, a addicted to opioids as well, you know. And so and then so all of these things were happening from such a young age where my brain is still <clears throat> developing. So you can imagine like you kind of one. Were you,
2: you predisposed? all this stuff like did your family have a background of- yes
1: so again family so predispositions are there too right my family has background both mental health and substance use my my aunt um, mm. you know she she died of a drug overdose unfortunately yeah. Special, yeah. yeah and then um, I have mental health throughout it, it's all in there you know I always say like I got every gene in my family that was like the <laughs> dysfunctional gene I did no I legitimately did
0: like and as much as, as, all- much
2: as it is a cliche to you be like you know like my family had it, it, it is it's a real thing. It's a real
0: thing. It's the thing. family tree. Yeah. When you the understand it, the amount of it. people that don't believe in this is crazy. Because it, it, predestination is a it, real it, thing. It, it
2: can't come off as a crutch or like an excuse for some people, and that's you know I mm-hmm. underst- I completely understand that because I say that all the time for a lot of other things, when right? People chase things, yeah. but it really is true. You know, like I'll, it's I'll, something you're born with. I'll
0: give a perfect example of this, and and I don't mean to throw my family's business, but it's perfect for what we're talking about. Uh-oh, my Chris. grandmother is a person who struggles with depression and anxiety. My mother is a person who struggles with depression and anxiety. And I am a person who struggles with depression and anxiety. Yeah. Three generations in a row. Yeah. And you tell me that predisposition is not a real thing. Yeah. That's wild. No, it is. Yeah. That's wild. For
1: sure. It definitely is. And then I think it's also the other components. Right. And so. You in have, fact, and after that, you everything have, else that was going it's on. It's just like with like. Cancer, which is also right like that. You have to get the early checks if you know that your mom had breast cancer and those things. So there's preventative factors. I was not doing any of those preventative factors, even though I was predispositioned. But I didn't know at the time. That I'm predispositioned to all these things. I didn't know at the time what I was doing was not preventative, but it was actually leading down this road. So without the knowledge and the education that I have today, I d- had none of this knowledge. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't even know what recovery meant. I didn't know what st- I didn't know any of these terminologies. None of this stuff. So you're just moving through life, you know, mm-hmm. and you just think, shoot, there's something wrong with me, you know. And so I'm trying to fix it with every little thing, whether it be a mm-hmm. person, um, whether it be drugs. I did it with money. You know, chasing money. I was just chasing all of these different things right. to try to fix. What was going on with me that can only be fixed internally, you mm-hmm. know?
0: So I, I'm very interested. So I, I've, I've met him. So I want to talk about him. Yes, good old Cooper. Ah, oh, Cooper. Cooper is a great kid. For those who don't know, that's Kayla's son. Uh, I've met him a couple times here at the office. He's a great kid, very energetic, very fun to hang out with. Yeah. But um, I would, I really want to hear. We heard a little bit about it last week in, mm-hmm. in the episode about Mothers, right? If you haven't checked it out, please do. Mothers in Recovery, we invited uh, Virginia uh, uh, and Diane to come talk about their experience of that. Please check it out if you haven't yet. It was a phenomenal episode. One of my favorite ones personally. But you kind of jumped into it a little bit. But I, I kind of would like to hear the full story of, because not to spoil anything, but something happened between mm-hmm. you and, and Cooper mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people in the community might want to I either have an interest in here about or might even relate to you. Yeah, for right? sure. So I would love if you could share that. Aspect.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So Cooper's my son. He's 13 years old. He's amazing. He's such a blessing. He's honestly been like when I got pregnant at 17. Okay. And I found out in a hor- horrendous way, right? Like in a car accident, I was drinking, you know, underage drinking, had to go to jail, all these things, you know? So like Cooper coming into the world at the time would have been like, anyone would be like, that girl does not need a kid. You Mm. know, like my life was chaos and yet here I was pregnant. And for some reason, like as I laid there in the hospital, I'll never forget it. When they told me that I was pregnant, I just knew that I was supposed to have this baby. Mm. Like I just knew that I was supposed to have this baby. Now, my thought process after that was really unhealthy because I thought that this baby was going to save me. Right. Mm. Like it was going to be the one thing again, the one thing that changes everything. Right. And so and in a lot of ways he did. But that's even too much weight to put on Cooper, right? Because if I'm not healthy, how can I impart healthy ways to my son? I didn't know these things as a kid. I was just, again, I'm an adult. Now I'm having a baby. I'm really an adult, you know. And so I had Cooper. Cooper... I remember my pregnancy. I had such a strong will. I stopped every drug that I was doing. I started to save up money. I was, like, so excited about having him. I was, like, really just, like, trying to be the best that I can be. I got my GED that summer. I scored with – got a, even a scholarship from doing that because I was really smart, you know, and that never changed. But I was just – Cooper.
2: Was? you were applying yourself. <laughs> yeah, to I was, was yeah well, Yeah, but, you know,
1: like, it, it just – Those things go out the window, you know, when you're just like in survival mode. And I think we didn't even talk about this is like when you're on drugs, like there's only one part of your brain that's operating and that is your survival mode. And so you Mm. are not thinking rationally. You are not thinking like if I do this, this. No, you are just like in survivor mode. And I lived like that. And so I I was living a lot in a very like trauma responsive way, too, because I put myself in a lot of traumatic situations and, and, and had to always be like very alert um about like my surroundings and what was going on um and so like you know I lived like that for a while but when I had Cooper it kind of brought me like level-headed where I was like really trying to be the best mom that I could be for him his dad um actually got arrested like right when I found out I was pregnant and he was getting sent off to prison for three years and so I knew that I was going into this you know as a single mom um and I knew that it was going to be hard but I knew that for some reason and I didn't even have like a faith at the time that this was like what was supposed to be you Mm -hmm. know and so I had Cooper now, when I first had Cooper, I was, like, strong enough to be able to, like, you know, take care of him and, and not be on drugs and, like, really, you know, try to f- fix my life up. I, I was saved enough money, was able to get myself a place with him, got a job, all of these things. But essentially, you know, I'm still dealing with me. And as time goes, like those depressive thinking starts coming like all of this stuff that I never dealt with before starts to kind of lay itself out there. And then on top of that, like all my friends are like 18 years old and like partying and like doing all this stuff. So I always felt like kind of outcasted because now like i'm the only young person with a kid but i also want to be a young person even though i'm supposed to be a mom and an adult so is this fight between i'm a kid raising a kid who like really doesn't have it figured out but i'm just like really hard-headed you know and i'll admit that um so you know I I struggled through that and essentially ended up like falling back into my ways. And I would kind of like at first I would be like, okay, well, if I just drink because that's not doing hardcore drugs and everyone drinks like that's fine, you know, and this is like, again, like the messages that we put out there for young people. But guess what? Kayla didn't drink just to have one drink. Kayla drank to like binge blackout drink, you know, and that was just the way that I did things like I did things to the extreme. And so it essentially like began just that process of like falling back into um my addiction but now it my addiction had switched from like saying well at least you're not doing these hardcore drugs but now I'm an alcoholic you know and so again it's like you know that that same behavior with different with different stuff so I was raising Cooper um And moving a lot with him, I moved back down here, my life would fall apart there, and I'd be living in my car. And at that point, I would call my mom and I was like, I need to come down, you know, and live with you because me and Cooper are literally living out of my car. Um, And so I drove down to South Florida, moved in with my mom, was like trying to get my life together. I went Got into this is what I would do. I would, I would try to get well for a little bit. I got went to Broward College. It was like I'm going to go get my degree in in nursing, and you know, um, got Cooper. He was down here into school, like preschool and stuff like that, and just trying my best because I always he was always my motivator. But I was always trying to fix things with like external stuff rather than doing the work. But I didn't know at the time. So, anyways, down here I became just like a major alcoholic you know, partying every week at put, put Cooper down for sleep and then I'm out and I'm out and I'm going. And then I would be waking up in the hospital and my mom would be there like crying. She's like, the cops found you in a bush. Like you were just like completely non-responsive and like, and I would not remember anything. Um, and it was like, just like things like that, that would happen and I would get angry. And when they would try to like confront me and I would just be like so frustrated. Why? Because there was so much shame, that I was dealing with too, that like it was hard to really like cope with things. So I just kept like just wanting to use, you know, because what would happen is like when I would drink, it would like become an escape, you know, and then I would not remember anything, but then when I would wake up and I would feel that shame all over again. So it was like just that cycle. anyways they got to a point where cooper's dad got out of prison and um you know maybe like a year after that i wanted to like move back up to georgia and like try to work things out and be a family i was always looking for ways to just like fix this by going here going there going everywhere so i moved back up there he was not doing well either you know um and so he had you know nothing had really changed um sometimes you go into prison and you actually come out um a little unhealthier yeah. and that was kind of like the concept here. And so, um, and then me and him kind of getting back together was just like another, just like oh, explosion, you know? Mm. And it was like every single time things just got worse and worse, you know, yeah. it's, it wasn't that it got better. It just got worse and it progressed. But when I moved back, I started dabbling back in like the harder drugs. Mm. Um, and I started to really do some, Things that were really unhealthy, unhealthy behaviors and stuff like that. And so, you know, I was always trying to manage like being a mom and like hiding all of this. And showing up as a mom, but then having this other life. So it was like I was trying to live these two lives, but you can't because this is going to bleed into this, you know, and kids are impacted no matter what. Like you may think that, oh, they're young. They're not going to remember. They're not going to. It's not going to. That is such a lie. I think that kids are impacted from the moment that they're in your Absolutely. belly. Yes. You know, I'm a firm believer in that. And I've watched even my son's journey and the resiliency and and how much he's had to recover himself, you know, through our, our family Kind of recovering together, but to your point of what ended up happening is, things got progressively worse. There was a few more arrests on my behalf. His same with his father. His father ended up going back um, to jail and looking at a prison sentence again. And then I was in and out of jail as well. Um, you know, in the life of drug dealing, and just it, it was just chaotic. You know, it was like everything was like ten times worse, um, and. Essentially, I lost custody of Cooper. Um, When that happened, it was like somebody came in, ripped my heart out. Like, that's literally what the pain felt like. I wanted to die. Like, I just remember feeling like I want to die, even though I knew and I was so upset and I had so much shame because I felt like I was failing him as a mom. But it was like, he's my only reason for living, you know, he's like the only reason that I wake up every day and like even like and will even try, you know, but I felt like I was so deep and dark and into my addiction and into my challenges. I honestly felt like I was going to die alone as a drug addict on the side of the road and like some random person would find me, you know, and I literally remember feeling like that's that's what's going to happen to my life, you know, because I watched my life just, like, fall apart in, like, just horrendous ways, you know, and I went through more trauma um, throughout that, too, and it's, like, I was just so, and I was beating myself up so much about everything, I, like, hated who I was, like, I remember one day, like, in my place, just, like, breaking every mirror, because I just didn't even want to look at myself, and that's just, like, the space that I was in, Um, but to your point of, like, people taking a genuine interest, for some reason, at this point in my life there was this one person who was that person for me and it was actually my probation officer and it was crazy because like i get goosebumps when i think about it because like at this time in my life i was like on probation i had warrants in another state that i had fled so i was a fugitive in like one state i was on probation in another state i was completely strung out on drugs they removed my son i was literally evicted from the place i was living in i was living in my car i was a complete wreck okay and i didn't know how to get out of anything nor was i willing to ask for help like i didn't i pushed
2: rock bottom. Yeah. oh yeah
1: it was rock bottom it mm-hmm. was rock bottom beyond I was lit it was like hell like literally I was like living in hell and I felt like every day was just like ugh. it it was it was miserable yeah so my mental state was at its worst I mean at its worst and I could not stop using because I just like I remember being like I don't want to use but I was so one addicted to these drugs but then two it was like I needed I was, I wanted to take my own life and I needed something to just like take the pain away. And so every day it was just like, you're falling back into that same neuropathway of like the same thing, even though, you know, like, this is what's killing you. This is what's keeping you from everything you've, you know, want and, and, and in life. But it was like, I was stuck here. And so what happened is I can created more self-hatred. Every time I used, I, I hated myself even more. Every time I used, I felt more shame. And so Essentially, I had a probation officer and I would go into her office when I would drive there. I had no license and I would like get out of the side of the car like I was slick or something like you walked. Yeah. Yeah. It was so ridiculous. I'm like, Kayla, What? I would put mud on the back of my plate so cops couldn't run my plate, you know, because we lived in the in the mountains and like you could, you know, have mud on your car. Um, And I would go in there and I usually had like dope in my bra. I was obviously high. And I would sit down and, I mean, this woman would just, like, ask me how I was doing. It was the craziest thing but, like, took a genuine interest. And I was so used to being looked at in like, disgust, not just by people but by myself that, like, when she would, like, ask me, like, random just, like, questions that were just, like, literally about, like, how I'm doing or, like, you know, she would just be, like, you know, I'm really worried about you or, like, just, just stuff that, like, was sincere that she cared. Like, I just felt, like just it was so weird like it was so weird but I actually that's why I would go even though I didn't have the money to pay her I would go because for some reason when I would see her like I just I kind of felt better you know Um, and so she was that person for me and that picture that mugshot of that girl that was actually my last and final arrest and I will never forget the night that I got arrested it was actually my friend from high school's brother who arrested me Um, he saw me leaving a racetrack. He knows I don't have a license. Again, I had that mud on my, (laughs) on my tag and it was, I think it was like two in the morning. It was, it was pretty late and, um, I was, shouldn't have been out and I was not doing good things while I was out, you know, but I had got, I remember I worked that night and I was going to meet up with someone. And I remember when he pulled behind me and I was like, crap you know like and i, I just kind of like knew and i like pulled into bilo parking lot which is like this parking lot and i just remember taking like this very big deep breath because like i knew i was going to jail mm. but i wasn't mad about it you know like oh, i right. think at this point i was so sick and tired that i it was almost like a relief you know, like I'm just, acceptance, yeah. yeah, it was just like this relief. And I, and actually a couple of days before that, I remember like having this mental breakdown, like in the woods, like by myself, like screaming out to God and like being like, like just yeah. so angry, like I hate you. And like, why? And I'm like, if you don't do something, then I'm going to like, I'm going to take my life. Like I cannot do this anymore. Like, and I was just crying because I was just in so much pain. I did not want this to be my life, my son's life and any of those things. And it was like a couple days later that this like divine intervention happened. And I saw that probation officer in the courtroom and she looked at me and I was obviously like in handcuffs. I was not free. I was going to be getting extradited. Obviously the state that I was, you know, fled from, they were upset. They wanted me to do me to do prison time. It was like this whole thing. I'm looking at all this stuff. Well, she looked at me when we were in the courtroom and she was like, Kayla, if I could take those handcuffs off right now and you can be free and you can walk out of here, like, where would, where would you go? And I just kind of was like, what? You know, like, and I just kind of thought about it. She's like, what would you do? Where would you go? And as she's talking to me, like a tear teardrop and I, I was not crying. Like, I would not cry this time. I like did not feel emotions because I was just so numb of everything. And I like hated my life. I hated everyone. I was just so angry. And like, I remember like a tear kind of fell down my face and what she was doing there essentially was she was empowering to make it, empowering me to make a decision. Wow. And she said, I found this place. She's like, you need help. She's like, this is not who you are. You know, this is not this, I, I know this isn't, there's more to what you need. And she's like, and you need help. She's like, but you have to make that decision for yourself. And she'd done her own research and like found this really great place in, in um, Tennessee and um it was like a co-occurring like a really good treatment center and she was like but i want you to make the decision and so like she just like empowered me and gave me the power of choosing like you are either going to choose your life or you're going to choose this you know it was like a fork in the road but she was like these are your options um which really was awesome in that moment because i knew i didn't really have options you know obviously i'm uh, you know uh, in handcuffs and you know i know that i'm looking at what i'm facing and so i had that moment to like really just process through and obviously like I chose to get help and that was the offset in the beginning of just like my whole life and so that's why my recovery date is August 20th 2016 because even though like I went to jail like a month prior and and I could have used that time I used it as the day I got out and decided to like go and get help You know, and so like that mugshot was like the last time that I've ever been arrested or been in a jail unless it's to bring a message of hope to other women that are incarcerated, which is pretty incredible, you know. And yeah, it's so wild. And when I went to Tennessee, I was there for about I was in the residential treatment center for about four and a half months. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that was probably the most important four and a half months of my entire life. You know, the whole treatment aspect was about a year, but like in that intense space was about four and a half months. And when I say I had extreme breakthrough, I it, like profound breakthrough, you know, and they dealt with my trauma, they dealt with, you know, my mental health, they dealt with my substance use, you know, I learned how to just like work through these things I gained so much hope from other women that I was there with like it was just a very like I recognize that I'm privileged in the type of treatment the quality of treatment that I've gotten that people don't people don't normally get that type of treatment I was able to get that treatment too because like (laughs) this is how good God works my grandfather died And he was like a really big part of our lives. And he actually left me an inheritance, but I wasn't allowed to touch it until I was 25. So that money just kind of sat there, even though if I would have probably gotten it earlier, I would have just blown it and killed myself. That's crazy. So that money is actually what went to my treatment. That's crazy. Yeah. So in an essence, my grandfather died, but it saved my life, you know, and that to me was like something so profound too. And like, When all of these things were happening and I was having these breakthroughs, like my whole perspective on life started to change and I started to understand like the, you know, like the family dynamics. And I started to understand the different components of my life, the trauma, the shame, you know, where I was as a mom. And, you know, it was really scary because as I was going through this process and like it's a lot of hard work, like working on yourself is difficult. And I think that's why most people are um, afraid to do it, because it's like you're going into like those painful places you're really looking at yourself like you're exposed like you're naked it's scary you know like there's risk there but my god is it so worth it is it so worth it like i i would not be who i am today if i did not go there and if i did not work through those things and if i did not get really really honest you know but god put like some key players in my life that were there to just support me through that and that's why support is so huge and that's why sharing your story is so powerful and it's so profound right there's just this therapeutic alliance that happens when we come together and we actually discuss the 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 difficulties the complexities because we can heal you know they say hurt people hurt people amen to that bro i have done it i have seen it i still see it today but one thing i've learned is healed people heal people because it is through our healing that we are able to then just express and also like profoundly like touch and 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 illuminate you know uh healing and it's the same type of thing so while i was in treatment um i was still looking at the prison sentence i was on a bond condition. So I got out of jail. My mom, my mom was so amazing during this time. She really just like showed up. She would fly out her and my grandma. They would, cause I, I'm moving from state to state, you know, my custody battles in Georgia, I'm going into Tennessee. My mom was granted that she was allowed to drive me. So she drove me to, um, treatment. And like, this is when our, the restoration of our relationship really began. Yeah, And, sure. um, when she took me, um, she dropped me off and, um, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, yeah. So I was going through, like, the custody stuff, but then I was also going through, like, court stuff where I was looking at a prison sentence. So that was when I started to kind of be fearful because I was like, what if I'm doing all of this and I don't get custody of my son back, you know? And that was, like, a really scary thing for me. And I remember feeling just, like, so, like, powerless and, like, just, one, angry with myself, but, like, lost without my kid, you know? And so I was like, man that was like the one thing that I wanted. It was like my biggest motivator, you know? Um,
2: put yourself in that position
1: again. Yeah, I just, I, w- I was so motivated because now I'm like learning about all of these things. And then I'm now worried about like my kid, the trauma he's experienced. And I'm like, I want to change all of this, Absolutely. you know? And what if I don't get the opportunity to? But this is where God really dealt with me because I remember being in treatment and I was like angry at God and like yelling at God, why this, why did these things happen to me? Blah, 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 blah and I would ask him for this like burning bush experience. I'm like, if you exist, like if you're really real, like we're out in the woods in Tennessee, I'm like, show me a deer, like make a deer appear. I want to see a deer, whatever. And I would do this like throughout my months of treatment and there would be like no deer, you know? And I would just be like, but I was changing and things were happening, you know? But I was just like looking for this burning bush experience. So fast forward, like, now nine months down the road where I'm now, like, in um, a a recovery residence. I'm still doing, like, treatment, but I've, like, stepped down. But now I'm, like, getting close to where once treatment's over, I got to go back to jail. I got to turn myself into jail. So I'm getting close to that. The things with the custody battle were not looking that good because if I go to jail, I do not get custody. So there was, like, this big thing, and there was other people that were— looking after trying to get custody of my son he was not with me or my mom in that time and so it was all this stuff happening that was powerless too and I remember being um I would often like go running every single day you know that was part of like what helped me like I started to realize that like if I focus on some of my physical health it actually helps me with my mental health and there's a huge correlation that's for another podcast but um I would go running every day. And during those runs, I would be like talking to God. Like, that's just how like my oh, relationship, yeah. I was just like very authentic too. Cause I just I come to driving. God. Yeah. I just that's come to him thing. as I am, you know, and just like angry and, or scared or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember having this conversation, like just being like, Lord, I'm so like, I'm so afraid like I'm so afraid like what if I don't get him back and I was crying because yeah. things weren't looking good I had two weeks before I had to turn myself back in I'm already having to plan like putting my stuff in storage potentially looking at prison blah. blah, blah. my mom's gonna have to fly and take me back to jail and I just remember like getting to this point where it's like my heart in um in that moment like I had stopped running and it just like kind of fully surrendered and I had this like this these thoughts come over me of just like I've taken care of you thus far. Like I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of Cooper. And I just started to kind of like speak out and say like, you know what? God, you've 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 brought me this far and I know you haven't brought me this far just to drop me if I'm not going to get custody back of Cooper. I know you have a bigger plan. I will be ready when he's 18 to have that relationship. If I have to go to prison, it's going to be to help somebody. I want to do this. Yeah, for you and for me yeah it solution. was finally yeah. like where all my motivators were like the kid the this it was finally like i want to do this with you for you i'm trusting you with everything
2: and that's funny the relationship i feel like a lot of people have a god you have that relationship where like you kind of put yourself in the shoot, like you become your own god it's yes like, give do me here get me here it's like, do this once you realize like that's not how it works <laughs>
1: right then it's like that. Yeah. that. yeah. Yeah. It, it was wild. Right. Yeah. And, but this it is, is what, this is how good God is though. Cause God like is just that good. Um, so all of these things are happening. I'm bawling, like tears are down my face. I'm like, I feel the presence of God. Like I literally feel him with me. Yeah, And I like drop to my knees and I'm crying. Like I'm out in, in Tennessee, like in a wooded area where I was running and I kid you not, like, from me to the camera, which is what? Like, how many feet is that?
0: Seven. Give a good okay. six, yeah. seven feet. Okay.
1: So maybe it was, like, a like maybe it was ten feet. I look up, and there's a family of deer, like, right in front of me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, how profound that was for me. And it wasn't about the deer. It was about the surrender, but even just like that in that moment when I looked up and I'm like literally crying. I've already went through this whole process and there's the deer that I've been looking for. I was for. gonna
2: say that before you said the story. I was like, God's almost like a big satire comedian. He
0: like, is He just
2: has li- like life lessons for us that are he just does. like I look I back at us, and you're like, Damn, wholeheartedly that's so funny. Wow. That The best so,
0: comedian in existence. That's why is I have my God. deer. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's literally why I have my deer, because mm-hmm. it was my oh, reminder cool. of like he and that cool to moment, a of purpose. I like, knew yeah, he like said, that. "I hear you. I've been here. I, I've I've been uh, every tear you've cried. I'm listening." But it was like he waited for the perfect moment where, like, my heart had already surrendered, and mm-hmm. then he kind of like showed me evidence. Because you might him. not have received
2: the message. Before right, and, yeah. right,
1: right. Well, it wasn't even the timing. My heart wasn't positioned exactly, in the right way. Yeah. My heart at that moment was positioned like in the right way you know yeah. to where even from that message of the deer like i knew it wasn't even about the deer like it was about the surrender but it was also about man how amazing and like god is so intentional and he's yeah. so in tuned to like you
2: specifically yeah. i remember you. when i first got into church and i remember i asked my mom i was like it's not fair really like for everybody in the world because like what if they never hear about god and what if they never have a chance to go to heaven and i remember like she told me she's like everybody will have a chance like no matter what Culture, religion, lack of food—no matter what, just because of like how, you know, because yeah. how, God is, it won't always be linear to everybody. But everyone will have one chance yeah. at one point in life to connect with God and have at that least, relationship. Yeah, yeah. well, and that's that, why that's we're that's called yours. to go out
1: to every nation, right? Yeah. And like, and give give the word, you know, and also like speak of hope and, exactly. and those things exactly. because that those are those moments. And that's why I never ever like turn down a moment to share my testimony because God is written all over it, like this. Me here, like everything about my life today has has been legitimately only prospered because of God. Yeah. And someone
2: could have never, ever, 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 ever heard about heard about God and they could stumble upon this podcast and hear your story. And that could be their one. And it didn't even come through through, like
1: church, you know, know? like it came through this like non traditional way, which then led me because I was even heavily involved in like the the fellowship because Um, there's like fellowships for like Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, where it's like a group of people that like really, truly like love you so unconditionally because they've experienced the depths of hell and they've walked through so they don't judge, they don't, you know, all this stuff. And that was like my first kind of experience with recovery um, besides treatment. And then I remember having like this, these spiritual, what they call like spiritual awakenings and just being like, Lord, like at the time I was just like, God, I don't know who you are. I'm really loving what's happening. Um, Show me more. I want to know who you are. And that essentially is what led me to Christ, you know, and like where I'm at today. And so I always say that to say like, you know, our journey through life, I think, is a spiritual journey where we're trying to learn, you know, like our purpose, who we are, who's our creator. Like these are the understandings that I think every human is trying to like figure out essentially in whatever ways they try to find it. But what I recognized in my recovery process is that everything that I had been searching for in a solution for for Kayla was God you know and it was what God provided and in that it, obviously there was work that I had to do you know there's definitely work that comes along with that and it, and recovery continues because I continue to be refined you know I got custody back of Cooper yeah, that was like the beautiful thing was like after that surrender I didn't know th- what the outcome was so I surrendered not knowing the outcome oftentimes we want to know the outcome and our relationship with God is very conditional if you do this I will believe yeah. but what happens when God doesn't do that do you still believe yeah. and that's why we see it all, all the time time right like people are like why why god why
2: does this war happen if god's real it's like
1: right and so it's like you have and there's going to be things this is what i recognize in like my maturity with my relationship with god is like there are going to always be things that are beyond my understanding because if i was god i would know i'm not god you know and so there's so much that i still don't understand and there's mysteries even in my relationship that i pursue with god but one thing's for certain is like he has been so faithful in just like his promises which has really nothing to do with like Kayla's conditions or outcomes or circumstances but just essentially in like who he is right and that like in those times he was there to comfort me in those times and that there's purpose beyond my pain right that there's a message out of my mess and if I chose to just kind of follow and do that next right thing what was happening essentially is like all of the broken pieces were falling together in a beautiful way. You know, that was like pretty, pretty profound. So two weeks after that deer situation, I essentially uh, found out that I was not going to have to go to prison. They had followed kind of like my whole journey. Obviously I was submitting all my drug tests, all my therapy, everything, all the stuff that I'd been doing in that like nine months. And they were just like, I mean, it blew them away. Like, I Mm. guess they saw hope for maybe like the first time in a while because they I guess they hadn't experienced so much of like people like changing their life that quickly that my they broke like a really nice message and um, essentially like dismissed my charges and so I didn't have to go to prison then it was like two weeks after that that I got custody back of Cooper so it was like obviously like these were just huge like blessings that were like completely out of my control like that was great god's grace over my life things that i didn't deserve because at this point i was now taking ownership of the things that i did wrong so regardless like i knew like hey you broke the law if you have to do the time you're doing the time you know and that was just my thought process in it but that was god's grace over my life you know and then it brought me back It brought me down here to Florida because when I was getting custody back, it was like God blocked every single path. I never wanted to come to South Florida. I said, I'm never moving there. I'll stay in Tennessee. I'll move back to Georgia, whatever. I'll never come down here. Everything was. Why did you
2: feel that way? I don't know.
1: I just always like hated South Florida. It was the weirdest thing.
2: Were you from here originally? Yeah, I was. But like everyone from South Florida hates. Right, right.
1: And so (laughs) I I just was like, I don't want to go back there, you know. And, you know. I don't even know what that maybe it was tied to like feelings that I had about different things that happened down here or yeah, like definitely. things that I did down yeah, here, but whatever. I just didn't want to come down here. God blocked every single path except for down here. I remember being in my therapist office crying, being like, I have to go to Florida and I know that that's the choice because everything else is blocked. <laughs> and so I moved down here. I, I got custody back of Cooper, moved in with my mom. Um, and that was the beginning of like, our restorative relationship too so now looking back i'm like man i know exactly why you brought me down here you'd never be here you restored everything with my mom but then two and that's the second thing when i came down here uh valerie allen who was working at dcf at the time knew my mom who knew my story through my mom knew like the whole redemptive side of it case. and wanted me to work actually at DCF as a peer specialist. They peers were like this new thing. This was like, so, you know, almost seven, seven years ago. Yeah. And it's so funny because right
2: around when my mom started the company is but, right around when that yes, whole peer stuff started but, happening. But what
1: ended up happening is because they didn't know how to interview peers. They called your mom. Your mom met me at DCF. She interviewed me. We cried bald in that Interview office, and essentially I ended up coming here rather that's, than there.
2: That's wild. Man. Yeah,
1: and so when you look, my at mom has how... a very similar story
2: to you. She yeah. really does. I mean, yeah, so, she got pregnant very young, run away, yeah, abusive, a lot of trauma, family back. Can't wait for that similar. episode. I know
1: it's going to be incredible. Can't wait for that. Episode.
2: have you have you like talking to my mom? Not not like, not well? like
0: that. Uh, I've sp- obviously spoken to Susan before. Uh, yeah, Susan, she's, my, she's my boss. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But um, not to that degree, and I can't wait for that. Oh my God, me yeah, me too. However, yeah, she's incredible. Kayla, I do want to ask you this question. Okay, but as we start to close out. Yeah, I got to talk about the elephant in the room.
1: Okay, let's talk about it.
0: I I'm speaking for myself, but I'm pretty sure I'm speaking I'm for like, most people in this organization and people that know you in general. Okay. The Kayla that you described at the beginning of this episode compared to the Kayla that we see today is two vastly different people. Oh,
1: my gosh. Yes.
0: And I see it. I, I remember, especially because we've had conversations about your story. Uh, spoiler alert. We tried to do this episode another time. It didn't really go uh, as we wanted it to go. Um so I've heard your story and every single time you 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 tell you tell it to me or you tell it in groups that we work with together, it's it's kind of a different way of saying it. But you the 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 message of anybody is capable of oh yeah growth and of change. Mm-hmm. It's always so um so it, so, so ingrained strongly felt, yeah, yeah. In, in that story. Yeah. So I just kind of want it to be like if let's say I feel that a lot of people who are going to watch this episode are one of two people are going to be people who are currently in recovery mm-hmm. or people who are currently trying to find ways to get out of it, mm-hmm. out of the depth, right? Right. The void of their if you challenge. Will. Yeah. So as we saw, you know, again, elephant in the room, it's you're, you're two very different people. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what would be the one thing
2: the biggest catalyst for the change or
0: no not necessarily what, what I'm going more is like what would be one thing you would tell to those people who are going to listen to your story because again, this is my story matters this mm-hmm. is the I want people to like you said earlier, the importance of sharing your story is that we can all we can all pick pieces of it and we can relate to each other yeah. and connect as mm-hmm. a human race mm-hmm. so what would be the one message um to kind of summarize your whole life and I know this is really
2: tough is it, yeah
0: but The one message you would give to those people who are currently struggling through the same similar or even slightly similar situations to what you're going through.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That is kind of hard just to sum it up. Um, I want to start with one of the biggest things that I think people struggle with is feeling alone in their specific challenges. Right. Right. And so I want to just take that and like completely remove that because none of us are alone in any of our challenges. Maybe we don't know yet that person um, that has experienced something similar because I think we're all unique in our stories anyways. Like nobody has the same exact, there's a lot of similarities and common ground that actually leads to us feeling hope, right? Like that that there could be another outcome for me. And I think that's the biggest thing, right, is having hope that there could be another outcome for you. Now that hope can come in many forms, right? For me, when I think of the catalyst as as you said, is like it has to be those for me it was those cries out to God, cuz I think that that was the first step in something, right? Recognizing like I am struggling and I need help. So the first real cry out maybe wasn't to a person but it was to and mind you here when i cried out to god i didn't really know what i meant by crying out to god i was just crying out to what you want to call it the universe you want yeah. to call it whatever because we're all in a different space in our journey um but it was the first time that i myself admittedly that you can recognize i needed help yeah. yeah the next step was then people right because in order to move through that, we need people to help us, you know? And so it, I think that if I could leave you with one thing, it would be that one, there's always like, nobody is too far gone. Like nobody, like I thought I was, and I was not, you know? And I've watched many people even beyond me, like Cooper's dad, who I who people were like, there's no way. Like he, I mean, people look at him as like a miracle beyond me because his mm. rap sheet would roll out like probably five miles long. Wow. He's been incarcerated pretty much majority of his life, you know, uh, in prison. V- lots. Of- lots of trauma lots of dysfunction you know gang involvement like all of these things that come with those types of lifestyles and even he has had a profound transformation yes, and is living a awesome. life in recovery and today another beautiful thing is he's that person in that picture with my family so God not only restored both of us in in profound ways individually but he brought back our family together which is something that's so beautiful it's, awesome. it's so yeah it's yeah. exceptional it's, it's I mean it's awesome. I think about it I'm like wow mm-hmm. this is such a miracle you know so we are now raising you know our children together we're we're teaching them we're instilling in them you know and i used to be afraid because i used to think like oh my gosh cooper has me as his mom who you know his dad is this like there's no hope for my kid i don't think like that today Absolutely. there is 100 percent hope for my Absolutely. kid and one of the things that i've learned is that your your struggles and your challenges are actually really profoundly like can actually help you grow in such ways that are like so impactful I know it doesn't seem like it when you're going through it but they can actually become like the catalyst of something great like if I didn't go through all of those things I wouldn't be here today being able to do the things that I do and actually have the impact that I have so sometimes even our struggles feel like they're um Like they're forever, but they're not, you know, Um, but getting help is the biggest thing, right? Like we can't obviously move from one space to another without help. So I guess like that would be what I would leave people with is like you have to recognize that you need help and just have that tiny wee bit of courage to ask for it. But when you do man, do things start to shift? I feel like God will move mountains and shift the world on your behalf. Now it's a process, you know? Like, it Mm -hmm. is a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. And I think sometimes we struggle in a society that is a very, like... Microwave mentality, where we think we could put things in for thirty seconds and we're going to get popcorn.
0: Well, yeah, think about the. I mean, not to. I know we we've gotten very Jesus and biblical here, but like think about the mustard seed, right? Yeah, everybody forgets that. Oh, you need to have courage, like like a mustard seed. But everybody forgets that a mustard seed is still a plant, so it needs time to grow. It needs time to develop. You know, it's not like you put it in the in the earth and boom, mountain can be moved. No. Like it takes time to grow, and it takes time to yeah. develop that mustard seed, um that faith, that courage to be able to pull through, so yeah. I, I, that's an awesome analogy, yeah,
1: and man, you're worth it, you're worth it, you know, every person has just dignity and value, and like has been put here on earth for yeah. a purpose a unique purpose only to you, like you're gifted with unique abilities that n- nobody, Michael can do things that Kayla can't do, that Christian can do things that neither of us can do. Like, and man, there's people that love you, you know, and that, that would be like my biggest message because that was what was so hard for me to grasp. But a lot of it was because I, I couldn't accept that people love me, let alone God love me because I didn't love me. I mean, I hated myself. Yeah. you know um but there's hope there and it all starts with that recognition and that asking for help and just knowing like no matter what you are loved you are loved by a god and and you may not understand it but that, that that god loves you so 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 much and so you know the process um it just starts with like taking that first step you know whatever that
0: looks like absolutely well awesome. uh kayla on behalf of myself I'm I'm pretty sure Michael mm. and <laughs> and everybody watching thank you yeah. um yeah. this is exactly what I feel you and I pictured when we said we wanted to start this series and um I I cannot wait to expand this to more people different stories different lives you know uh, this year sp- this these past few months specifically have been a really big wake up call with um at least for me in my life the importance of sharing your story Mm -hmm. you know and that's why when when you started when you brought the idea because originally it was your idea um it, it inspired me so much because i i felt it immediately like yeah that's what this needs to be so we can't wait to keep going kayla one more time thank you so much we appreciate your honesty we appreciate your openness and uh, we thank you for just trusting us to be able to do this with you today
1: yeah absolutely i wouldn't i wouldn't want to do this with any other two people
0: yes
2: yeah i love you guys appreciate Mm you
0: yeah so we don't know what the next my story matters uh will be but we promise you uh when it happens we'll give it everything we got to make sure it's the best that it can be so thank you so much for watching uh, Kayla's actually going to be gone next week, so yes. it's going to be my kill and I. So uh, just because that happens doesn't mean you guys. Uh, need to like skip the episode, No, watch it. yes, it's, they're it's amazing.
1: So I love watching um, your guys' bro-
0: <laughs> bro-ski episodes. It just goes from PG to PG-13. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's true. That's, that, that's actually
0: very true. Um, but once again, we want to thank you guys for watching. Please like, please subscribe. Hit that notification bell so you get notified every single time we post uh, a, an episode or a video. Um, if you're listening to the audio version, please give us a five-star rating. You have no idea how much it helps. It helps with engagement, Help to share and it helps us to connect with more people and more people can hear stories like Kayla's stories like our Mothers in Recovery episode stories like Brian Sims when he came over and he, he was kind of like the, the the first version of this that we ever did yeah. and we had so much fun with, with him in that episode so the only reason we can do that is if you guys support us and you guys keep sharing um, what we got to say so we really appreciate all of you um, have a great rest of your day or week or month or year and we will see you in the next
2: one awesome. stay well
0: bye, bye.